Good morning. You guys can be seated. Merry Christmas. So good to see you guys. Uh, I love Christmas. I'm sure that you do too. I love everything about it. I love the lights and the decorations and definitely the candies and the food. We had a great brunch. I even love your hideous Christmas sweaters. I love them. I love the movies, the Hallmark, even the cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. I like those. The music. I love it all. Uh, But the treasure of Christmas is Jesus. I'll say that again so more than one person can say amen. The treasure of Christmas is Jesus. Amen. And I believe that if we think rightly about the birth of Christ, it will result in a great joy for all of us. Uh, But we face a category challenge when it comes to talking about joy. Uh, We confuse happiness with joy. Uh, Happiness and joy, they feel very similar, but they come from a different place. They come from, uh, they're made of a different substance. Happiness is based on what happens. Happiness comes from the inside or from the outside in. And happiness comes and goes. So if you want your kids to be happy this Christmas, you can max out your credit cards on all the Christmas presents, and they'll be happy for about two days. And then they'll start making their birthday wish lists. Is that true? It's very true. You won't always be happy. But I believe that you can always have joy. Paul was a man that uh, met Jesus, and Jesus changed everything from him. Uh, He went from being a Christian killer to one of the greatest Christian evangelists that ever lived. And Paul, when he met Jesus, his life didn't go, uh, it didn't actually get better uh, as far as the circumstances of his life. It actually got a lot more difficult. Uh, He got arrested for preaching Jesus' name. They stoned him, um, and then they uh, put him in a ship, and the ship was headed to Rome. They were going to try him there and probably execute him. And the ship gets caught in a hurricane. The ship breaks up, and... Paul is on the open water in the middle of a hurricane. He gets washed up onto a desert island, and he's going around searching for firewood, uh, just trying to be a nice guy. He's going to build a fire for other people. He gets bitten by a poisonous snake. And he writes this letter, uh, the letter of the Philippians. As he writes the letter, he is in a jail cell in Rome. And at any point, the Roman guards could come in, drag him from his jail cell into the middle of the street, and just chop his head off at any point. And yet Paul, in this letter, he says this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, it, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, that sounds like a command, and this is what I believe. As Christians, we should be the most joyful people on the planet. I believe that as a Christian. So it is a command, but it's even better than a command. It's a vision for your life. You see, it is possible for you, yes, you, yes, even now, to have joy. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Paul had learned the secret of having joy no matter what, in any and every situation, in the poorhouse, in the jailhouse, in the outhouse, in the penthouse, in the halfway house. Paul found joy. How is it possible? What's the secret? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. You guys know this verse. I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, Happiness is based on what happens. You won't always be happy, but joy is based on Jesus. And so you can always, you can always have joy. Today, I want to point your attention to Luke chapter 2. And what we're going to see today is that the birth of Christ is a cause for great joy in your life. Let's stand together. Philip, uh, Luke chapter 2 is what we'll be reading. As you guys are standing, I just want to welcome all of our visitors And I want you to know that you are welcome here just the way you are. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. 
Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we glorify your name. With the angels, Lord, we join the multitudes of billions of people around the planet today who have paused for a whole month to celebrate the birth of your son. We worship you. We honor you. We give you glory. In our hearts, in our world, it longs for more of you. Please, Lord, come and meet with us today in a very real and personal way. Speak so clearly through me today, Lord, that it is impossible for us to miss the gift that you want to give us. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Luke 2, 7, uh, we see that Mary gives birth to her firstborn son, and she wraps him in cloth, lies him in a manger, because there's no guest room available for them. What happened right before this, they had traveled 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, his uphill journey. And um, they did that as, uh, to meet the requirements of a government mandate, a government-mandated census. And so that's not an enjoyable thing. Some of you in the last couple of years have had to put up with government mandates, and so you know it's not much fun. So they probably weren't in the greatest of moods. And uh, this is a 90-mile journey, and it took an extra amount of time because Mary was far along in her pregnancy, and so they had to stop every 30 minutes so she could pee. So it took them a while to get there. The Moripovich of it all is that Joseph was not the father, and Mary is carrying the Son of God miraculously in her womb. Uh, they get to Bethlehem, and Joseph cannot find a place for them to stay. Even in the Roche Motel, everything is booked up. No vacancies whatsoever. And so they ended up basically in an outbuilding. Uh, it was like a shed, a run-in shed. Animals would come just to get shelter. There would have been hay and urine and manure, and it was just a smelly, gross unsanitary, loud place, and it's in this place that the most important person that ever lived was born. Uh, now, he was born in obscurity, meaning that nobody would have known that he had even come into the world except for verse 8 and 9. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So in a field that same night, overlooking Bethlehem, there were a group of shepherds, and they were hanging out with their sheep. They were taking care of their sheep. And this is the middle of the night, the darkest part of the night, and the heavens, the Bible says the heavens open up, 
and this angelic being comes down out of this heavenly realm. And uh, if you read the Bible, the descriptions of angels, the best word to describe an angel is awesome. Like it is awesome, you know. And the, there's this light that's shining around the angels, and it's so bright, and the moment is so big that it's overwhelming. And the shepherds did exactly what you and I would have done. They peed their pants. They were terrified. Verse 10, the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, this verse gives us an illustration of what joy is capable of. You see, the shepherds, they start off this encounter and they're terrified. The angels say to them, we don't want you to be afraid. Instead, we want you to exchange your great fear for great joy. You see, that's what joy empowers us to do. It empowers us to replace uh, a, a terrible uh, negative state of mind with a beautiful positive state of mind. Joy is a can't-lose attitude. Joy is an eternally optimistic expectation. And I'm telling you today that if God had his way in your life, if God had exactly what he wanted for you, you would not be anxious, you would not be depressed, you would not be angry, you would not be bitter. You would have joy. You would have joy. Now, joy comes by, the angels say, comes by this knowledge of what they call the good news. What is the good news? Verse 11. Today, in the city of David... A Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And so what's the cause of the good news? A baby's been born. And the way this reads in the Greek, it's kind of wonky in English, but it reads this literally. For has been born for you today, Savior, Messiah, Lord, in the city of David. So he clumps those three titles together. And so this is the good news that will cause great, great joy for all people, everybody that's willing to receive it. Today in David's hometown in Bethlehem, just across the ridge, shepherds, from where you are, not in some unseen realm, not in some place that's out of touch and out of reach, not in some metaphysical time, right here, right now, in the real world, to provide for you real solutions to your real problems, to give you real hope, a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord has been born. Now, I want to break down for you for a few minutes what each one of those titles mean, because it's so easy for us to you know, we, we hear the Christmas story every year, and we miss how big this is. So the Savior has been born. Mary and Joseph, they named their son Jesus. And when they were calling Jesus in for dinner, uh, the way they pronounce that name is Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. And so Jesus literally means, he is literally named God saves. What is Jesus saving us from? Uh, you remember that uh, Joseph was going to divorce Mary privately when he found out she was pregnant. But an angel appeared to him, and he convinced him to stay. This is what the angel said, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ was born to save us from our sins. Now, again, this is one of the things. You've had enough church to have heard that a million times, and it's so easy for it to go in one ear and right out the other and not land on you how huge this is. And so I want, I want to help you understand that everything that you hate about this world, everything that hurts you in this world is a direct result of sin. Everything. Guilt and shame, fear and sadness, corruption, injustice, racism, poverty, plagues, tornadoes, earthquakes, selfishness, hatefulness, deceitfulness, violence. I could go on and on and on. Sin is killing us spiritually. It's killing us physically. It's killing us culturally. It's even killing us environmentally. Romans chapter 8 verse 20 
for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay and into the glorious freedom of God's children. You see, even our world, our world is groaning, it's in pain, it's messed up, it's subjected to futility. It is in the bondage of decay, and this is what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free from the deadly consequences of sin. He, he came to save us from the penalty of sin. He came and is saving us from the, pre, the power of sin, and he will one day save us from the presence of sin. And when the saving work of Christ meets its inevitable and glorious conclusion, the Bible says there will be no more crying. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more death. There'll be no more anxiety. There'll be no more depression. There'll be no more natural disasters. There'll be no more cancer or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or heart disease. The things in this world that, that you hate, the things in this world that hurt you, they will be no more. The Bible says the old order of things will pass away because Jesus has saved us from our sins. He's the Savior, and he's the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. And it was actually a title that we see all throughout the Old Testament about somebody that God would send from heaven with a special anointing on their life, a special mission that they would accomplish. All throughout human history, every single civilization has longed for a person like this. They've been telling these stories of this glorious hero that would appear and set everything right. Uh, you, you read about it when you were doing world civilization in high school and middle school. People like Beowulf, people like Hercules, people like Thor. Uh, even in our current day, Superman or Neo a God-man who would come and make everything right. You remember, how many of you watched the movie The Matrix? This was 20 years ago. The rest of you are not going to get this at all, but that's okay. I'm cool with it. In the movie The Matrix, there's the main character. His name's Neo. And uh, Neo is it's at the end of the movie, and the supervillains have trapped Neo. He's in a hallway. There's nowhere to run. And they've got all these guns, and so they start firing every single one of their bullets at Neo, this main character, the hero of the story. And the bullets are flying through the air at him, and it's, it's moving in slow motion. And, and it's in this moment that Neo, he, he finally realizes what he's fully capable of. You remember this scene. And he puts his hand up, and he just says, no. And all the bullets just stop right there in the hallway. And I remember I was watching this in the theater, and in this scene, he, he puts his hand up, he says, no. And the whole theater erupts in ovation. Some of you, you're experienced. I was, I was on my feet. I was like, yeah. Why were we crying out? Why were we celebrating? It's not just because of this character on the screen. It's because our soul, our soul longs for that person in reality. That's why you got so into Harry Potter. How many of you are Harry Potter people? One hand shot all the way up. We love the idea of Harry Potter. We're rooting for Harry Potter to de defeat Voldemort, right? Why? Because we long for that unique son with those special powers who is going to overcome the darkness. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this is hundreds of years before Jesus is born. The prophet says this, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origins are from iniquity, from ancient times. You see, the baby born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, is the fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus is the completion of all of those heroes from the Old Testament that we read about who started the work of God but were unable to complete it. Moses takes God's people out of slavery in Egypt and he leads them 
through the Red Sea on dry land, and they, they end up in the wilderness, and Moses takes them to the edge of the promised land. But because of Moses' selfishness, because of his arrogance, he's not able to lead them into the promised land. Joshua comes in as this captain, and he takes all of the people of God, and he assembles an army, and they're going to go against the giants that are living in the promised land, and they're going to eradicate all the evil enemies, except for Joshua was unable to defeat all the tribes and all these other evil enemies. We see all these stories in the Old Testament of these priests that come up, and they start off and they're so great and they're doing everything selflessly and they're serving the people but then they start operating in selfishness and their whole family line gets messed up and we see kings even the best kings and they're corrupt and this is what this is what the, the Bible's telling us this is what the angels are declaring on this day Jesus everything you hoped that person would be when you're watching Neo on the big screen, when you're watching Harry Potter on the big screen, when you're reading this story about Beowulf and you're like, man, I wish that that was reality. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. Everything the world longs for, Jesus came to fulfill that. Everything that the world hoped would happen, Jesus is the promised one to make it so. Jesus, the true Messiah, is establishing a kingdom in which everything will be as it should be and nothing could be better. An unshakable kingdom in which you'll be glad that it never, ever ends. You'll be glad that it goes on forever and ever and ever. Streets of gold, walls of ruby and jasper. A place so glorious that uh, these precious metals are treated like common building materials. A garden paradise, a heavenly banquet, a loving father's welcoming home. That's how Jesus describes this place that he's establishing. If you took Disney Plus and HBO, and Marvel Studios, and you put them all in a room, and you gave them an unlimited budget and unlimited amount of time to dream up a perfect place, it wouldn't even begin to touch. It wouldn't begin to describe the kingdom that Jesus will establish. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has even imagined what God has planned for his people. And Jesus is the promised one who's going to lead us into that place. He is saving us from everything that is evil, and he is bringing us into everything that is good, and he is the Lord. Lord, in the Greek, is a word, kurios, and kurios is used 6,000 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to God, and so these shepherds would have picked up on what the angel said immediately. What they're saying is when Jesus, they're calling Jesus this baby born in Bethlehem, they're calling him Lord. They're saying that Mary's son is Emmanuel. Mary's son is God with us. And so he's the Savior, and he's the promise keeper because he is Almighty God. There is nothing he can't do. He is, he is powerful enough to accomplish these purposes. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark this whole year, or about halfway through. I'm hoping by Easter we'll have drawn to a close. But I've loved being reminded of the power of Jesus as we work through this gospel. You remember that story of the lady who had a bleeding issue. She had a health problem, and she went to every doctor that she could, everybody throughout all the region to try and help her, and nobody could do anything for her. She spent, the Bible says she spent all of her money on all the cures and all the ointments and all the things that were supposed to help, and nothing helped. Actually, everything made it worse. And then Jesus came to her town, and she thought to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then maybe I'll be made well. She had heard the stories, and so she pushed through the crowd, and at the very last minute, she reached out and grabbed just the, just the hem of his garment. The Bible says immediately 
The illness left her. Immediately she was made well. Immediately she was made whole. With just one touch, Jesus did what no one else could do. They were caught in a storm. You remember the disciples were caught in this storm, and most of the disciples were fishermen. And so they'd been on the water their whole life. Uh, they'd seen storms like this a million times before, but this one was different. This one was like a demoniac storm. There was, the storm was like crashing over the boat, and the boat was beginning to break up, and they were scared for their lives. They looked around. They couldn't find Jesus anywhere, and they said, does he not even care that we're going to die? They went under the deck, and they found Jesus, and he was asleep because the storm that scared them to death rocked him to sleep. He came up on the, on the deck, and he looked the storm in the face, and he said, silence, be still, and immediately all the waters were calm. The waves were gone. The wind had died down. With just one word, Jesus calmed the storm. There was a demoniac in this region called the Decapolis, and this is the most powerful, de- de- the most powerful demon uh, in recorded human history. He, this demon had the power of a thousand demons. And this demon terrorized 10 cities, 10 whole cities. They tried everything they could to run the demon off. They, they took weapons against him. They chained him up. Everything they could do, nothing helped. And it was so bad that all the inhabitants of, the, of this region, they just left because they couldn't do anything with him. But then Jesus came to town. And the demon saw Jesus approaching. And you know what the demon did? The demon ran to Jesus and fell on his face, and he begged Jesus for mercy before Jesus even spoke a word because at just the sight of Jesus, the demons flee. Jesus' best friend died. He was dead for four days before Jesus could get to the grave. Uh, The funeral had already happened. The body was beginning to decay, and the tomb was smelling. Jesus walked up to the grave, the cave that they buried this man in, and he yelled in to the cave. He says, Lazarus, get up. And immediately this man got up from his death chamber and started taking off of his robes. Jesus brought this man back to life. Jesus, my friends, he is Lord. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He has power over disease. He has power over darkness. He has power over death. He is mighty to save. And so here's the good news that will cause great joy if you'll receive it. Salvation is here. He's come. He is born into the world. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is alive. And that's good news. And here's, here's the thing that tops it all off. He's available to you. And you say, well, Jeff, you, you don't even know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how awful I've acted in the past. But I want you to know today that this good news, this great joy, it's available even to you. How do I know that? In verse 10, the angels say to the shepherds, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. That will be for who? What's that say? It's right there on the screen. For all, all the people. All the people. Don't you fit in that category? When God sent out his birth announcement, he could have he told anybody that the Savior's been born. He could have gone to the kings and the queens. He could have gone to the big, powerful bankers. He could have gone to the priests, the holier-than-thou people, the powerful people, the elite people, the celebrities. He could have gone to them. You know who he went to? He went to the shepherds. Now, shepherding was not a noble profession. In Jesus' day, shepherding was for low-IQ individuals. You know when you were a senior in high school and there was that kid in the back of the class that's always doing spit wads? or asleep, or he's trying to crawl out, see wing window so he can go smoke with his girlfriend in the parking lot. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. 
He got a four on his ACT. You get five for script spelling your name right. You're like, come on, man. This, this kid, the guidance counselor would say to this kid, you need to be a shepherd. That's, that's what shepherding was for. Uh, shepherding, uh, it was for roughnecks, rednecks, people that weren't welcomed in high society, uh, weren't work, welcomed in the temple. See, shepherds smell like sheep. They were, they were stinky. Nobody wanted to be around them. Nobody would have them over for dinner. And, and shepherds worked all the time. You couldn't really take a day off from your sheep. You know, they still got to be taken care of. And so they couldn't keep the Sabbath. They couldn't go to church when they needed to go to church. And so the priest said to them, you're sinners. And so you, you know this. You know that a lot of us, we, we have a tendency to live up to our low expectations, don't we? And so if somebody calls you a sinner, what are you going to act like? A sinner. The only people that shepherds hang out with were other sinners. And so shepherds earned a reputation of being liars and being cheaters and being thieves. And, and, and nobody wanted to be around them. And so, and so when the angels say to the shepherds, verse 11, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. And who are they talking to? They're talking to the shepherds. And who's, what's this angel saying? He's been born for you. He's been born for you. And so if God sent his first Christmas message, the announcement of the birth of his son, if he comes first to the no good, lying, cheating, stealing, smelly, stupid shepherds, don't you think that this good news, don't you think that this great joy, don't you think that this salvation, don't you think that these promises, don't you think that this mighty God is for you too? It's for you. His salvation, his promises, his victory, his joy is available to you and it's available now. Even in the darkness, even in the middle of your darkest night. You see, Christmas is a magnifying glass, the holiday season. And if things are good, things are really good. First service, we got a lady that was, she just retired, she, and she was dancing during the service. I mean, she's having a good time. Because when things are good, at Christmas they're really good. But when things are bad, at Christmas they're even worse. Some of you, you're here today and your marriage is on the rocks. Your finances are in ruin. Your health is suspect. Some of you are here today, and this is the first Christmas that you're spending without your loved one, and it's hard. And when you're in the darkest seasons of your life, it's, it's really easy to lean away from God instead of leaning into him. But let me remind you today that God often does his greatest miracles in the middle of the blackest night. God appears to the shepherds in the middle of the night. God appeared to Joseph in the middle of the night. God guides the wise men by a star in the middle of the night. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the prophet looks forward to the day that the promised one is going to come. Look what he says, the people walking in what? Darkness. They're walking in the darkness. They're not outside of the darkness. They're not before the darkness. They're in the middle of the darkness. And what have they seen? A great light. The light has dawned on those living in the land of the darkness. John chapter 1, verse 4, the apostle, he remembers the birth of Christ. He says this, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines where? In, in the darkness, in the darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. Christ, our Savior, our promise keeper, our Lord of all, he reveals himself to us most powerfully in the midst of our darkness. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, this is true. Weeping may endure for the night. God will allow it. He'll permit it. 
not, not to come and stay. It's not going to move in. It's not going to live with you. But there's a short season in your life in which God will allow darkness to come. Because I tell you what, when the darkness comes, you get on your knees a lot quicker. You'll stay there a little bit longer. You'll open up this word looking for answers. When the darkness comes, it's a little bit easier to seek out that Savior when you need salvation. It's a little bit easier to seek out those promises when you, when you don't have any to lean on. And so in the darkness, God shows up and he says, listen, this isn't going to last forever. It's not always going to be like this. I don't care how bad things are. There is joy in the morning. There is joy in your future, Christians. And so stop looking Stop staring into the darkness. Isn't that what we do? When things get bad, we focus all of our attention on everything that's going wrong, on, on everything we wish would be different. We focus all of our attention and all of our energy. I'm going to encourage you today, stop looking into the darkness and start looking for Jesus because he is at work in the midst of your darkness. He is somewhere near where you are, and if you would just focus your energies on trying to connect with him, you, you live in the reality of God's saving work. Focus your energies on living in the reality of his faithfulness to his promise. Focus your energies on living in the reality that he is mighty to save, that this problem that's too big for you, this problem that has scared you to death, it rocks him to sleep. Live in that reality. And let me tell you something. Even in the midst of your darkness, you can have joy. You can have joy. What did the, what did the shepherds do? They left glorifying and praising God. Why? Because they're living in the reality of this baby, this baby, this promised one, this Savior, this mighty one. They're going back, what, to sheep. They're still going to be shepherds. They're still going to be disrespected. They're still not going to be appreciated. They're not going to be wealthy. Their life hasn't changed, but they've changed, and so they have joy. Even though their circumstances aren't any different, they have joy. That's what God can do in you. Now, why is it, why is it, friends, that we, we lack joy? I, I know that you guys are spiritual, so you never have this problem. But, but I love Jesus. I love him with all my heart. And I pray, and I read the Bible, and I come to church, and everything that I've said to you, I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I believe Jesus is the Savior. I believe he is the promised one. He is the promised keeper. I believe that. I believe there's nothing Jesus can't do. And still, even though I believe all those things, still, sometimes I'm grumpy. And sometimes I'm anxious, and sometimes I battle depression, and I just don't have as much joy as I'd like to have. Why is that? I think, I think for a lot of us, we look for joy in the wrong place. We look for joy in the wrong place. You see, you're not going to find joy in this world. You're not going to. And here's the proof. We live in the wealthiest, healthiest, most educated, most employed, most connected nation ever. All these things that you would think would lead to happiness and joy. This is where we live, and yet we are the, well, the most addicted, the most depressed, the most anxious, the most suicidal, the most incarcerated nation ever. What does that tell you? You're not going to find joy in the circumstances of this world, and that's where we, we, we expect God to just fix all of our circumstances. We're never going to have any trouble, and so that's what we've based our joy on. Friends, joy is found in connecting to Jesus. Joy is found in the personal knowledge of your Savior, the promise keeper, your Lord. And so if you want to have a Merry Christmas, you don't need more presents under your tree. Uh, you don't need a pretty or ugly Christmas sweater. You don't need a big ribbon on a beautiful new car. You don't need any of those things. You don't need a Disney vacation. If you want more joy this Christmas, you need more Jesus. 
Now, this is where we miss it. This is where we miss it. I think oftentimes Jesus is found in places you might not expect. And so that's why we have trouble connecting with him. He's found in places you might not expect. You'd expect to find the king of kings born in Rome, the most powerful city on the planet at the time. Or in Alexandria, that was the intellectual capital of the world at the time. Or Jerusalem, this is a holy city. You expect to find Jesus born, the Savior born in a palace or in a temple. But the promised one came in such an unexpected way that the angels had to give the shepherds a sign so they wouldn't miss Jesus. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Jesus didn't come wearing a silk robe. He came wrapped in rags. Jesus didn't, wasn't born in luxury. He was born in a stable. Jesus wasn't placed on a golden throne. He was placed in a feeding trough. And so oftentimes, what will result in your greatest joy is wrapped in the smallest packages. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Jesus said, whenever you give a cup of water to one of the least of these, it's like you've given it to me. I'm right there with you. Jesus said you can find him in prayer. You can find him in worship. You can find him in scriptures. You can find him in serving other people. But we're looking for Jesus on the mountaintop. We're looking for Jesus in all of our circumstances lining up. There's a story of a prophet in the Old Testament. He's looking for a word from the Lord. He's desperate for a word from God. And it says that a big wind blows through. It's like a huge storm, but God wasn't in the wind. There was a big fire that comes through, but God wasn't in the fire. There's a huge earthquake that comes through, but God wasn't in the fire. And then he heard a whisper, and that's where God was. Sometimes God speaks to us. Sometimes we'll find God. Sometimes our greatest joy is found in the smallest packages. And so I think this is what we need to do. I think we'd have more joy if we'd make more room for Jesus in our life. Bethlehem was too busy, so they had no room for Jesus. They didn't make Jesus a priority. They gave Jesus what was left over, and as a result, they missed the joy of Jesus' birth. You are too busy. You have made no room for Jesus in your life. Not enough. You don't make Jesus a priority. And as a result, Jesus gets the leftovers, right? He gets the leftovers of your day. At the very end of your day, right, you're about to doze off to sleep. That's when you pray. Jesus gets the leftover of your week. If I get all my chores done this weekend, if I get all my shopping done this weekend, if I, if I get everything else done, then I'll go to church. Jesus isn't a priority for many of us, and as a result, we miss out on joy. Don't be like Bethlehem. Be like the shepherds. Verse 15 When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Let's go straight to Bethlehem. We're going to leave the sheep here. They'll be back. They'll be here when we get back. We're going to leave them there, and we're going to go. We're going to go out of our way. We're going to connect with Jesus to see what has happened, which the Lord has told us. I want you to notice that nobody had to tell the shepherds to go and find Jesus. The angels just made them aware that Jesus had been born, told them where they could find him. It was the shepherd's initiative to go to where Jesus was, and they went straight there because that's what you do when you really believe that connecting to Jesus will result in your greatest joy. If you really believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Christ, that he is the Lord, if you really believe that he's the solution to every problem, if you really believe that he is the one who will make everything right, if you really believe that Jesus is the one who is willing and he's able Then, when you really believe that, you'll go to where God told you that you could find him. You'll go there. You'll go to God in prayer. 
because God said you can find me there. You'll go to God in the scriptures because God said you can find me there. You'll go to God in worship on the Lord's Day because God said you can find him there. You'll go to God in serving others because God said you'll find me and you'll find joy there. Nobody would have to convince you to drop everything else and prioritize going out of your way and connecting with Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 16 and following. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart, meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. I'm telling you today, Jesus changes everything. I'm going to say that again so you can say amen. Jesus changes everything. Some of you know that firsthand, but here's the reality. There's joy in him no matter what. You can have joy no matter what. Even today, it's accessible. But you won't believe it until you see it. You won't. And so you need to come. Are you far from Christ today? No good, sorry, lying, cheating, thieving, sinner. Is that you? And you think... There's no way God would have anything to do with me. I'm telling you, a Savior has been born for you. It's been born. Are you anxious? Are you depressed? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you skeptical? Are you jaded? There is joy for you in Jesus' name. And this is what people say. Well, what difference is, what difference is prayer going to make for me? What difference is joining a church family? What difference is that going to make for me? What difference is it going to make if I become a Christian? What difference is that going to make I wonder if they, as they stood over top of that manger, if they asked, what difference is that little baby wrapped in cloth lying there? What difference is he going to make? He's changed everything. He's changed everything. What a difference that little baby has made. He's alive. He's active. He's the Savior. He's the promise keeper. He's Almighty God, and there is nothing that he can't do. He is not far from where you are. Come and see Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and I promise you will find joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for Christmas. Lord, you breaking into history is the beginning of the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. And we, we can never be grateful enough. We can never say thank you enough for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for coming to me in the middle of my darkest nights and opening up the heavens and just giving us a glimpse giving me a glimpse of who you are and your good plan for my life. Lord, thank you for appearing to me. And Lord, I pray you'll forgive me that I don't walk in joy the way I should. Lord, I want to be a more joyful person. Help me. Help me to prioritize Jesus. Help me to make room for Jesus in my life. Help me to trust that I'm going to find you exactly where you told me I'd find you. Lord, that when I pray to you, you're actually listening. You're in the room with me. Help me to trust that. Help me to trust when I serve other people that I'm, it's just like I'm serving you. Help me to trust that. Help me to trust when I, I gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ that you're right there with us. And Lord, help, help me to understand that it's in that place that I can connect with you. It's in that place that I can connect with this Savior, that I can connect with these promises, that I can connect with this almighty God who's come to make everything right. Lord, I pray if there's any person in this room who's far from you, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll cut them to the heart even now. And you'll draw them by your kindness. Remind them today that if, if you came to the shepherds, that you'd also come to them. And Lord, I pray that they'll come to you today. They'll surrender their life. They'll fall on their knees. They'll worship you. 
and that you, Lord, will change them from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. This is a song of celebration. We're going to sing uh, because we've got a reason to sing. Jesus is here. He's alive. The Savior's here. The promise keeper has come. Uh, the mighty God is on your side. And so that's something to celebrate today. We have on either side of the stage some emblems, crackers, and juice. They represent the body and the blood of Christ. And we take that physically every week because we want you to remind, remind you that Jesus was physically born into the world. This is not a story in a book. This is not a movie on a screen. This is real. It's real life. And Jesus touched down in real life because he wants to change your life for real. He does. He wants to give you real hope. He wants to give you real joy. He wants to give you a real future in a real place with him forever. And so as you take these emblems today, be reminded of that and celebrate that. If you don't know anything about that and you'd like to know more, will you please come and talk to me? Will you please come and talk? Dave's in the back. We'd, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to tell you more about that. Are you here today and you're carrying a heavy load? Well, good news for you. I know somebody that can help. If you need somebody to pray with you, trust the power of prayer because we certainly do. Come to me, talk to me, come to Dave, and let us pray with you as we sing this song. Come.